Welcome to Behind the Bookshelves. My name is Richard Davis and this Abe Books podcast is dedicated to telling the stories behind books and the people who love them. Today we're joined by bookseller Greg Tolbert from the Law Book Exchange and we're talking about law and books. Founded in 1983, the Law Book Exchange specializes in all aspects of law and the history of law. Its antiquarian and scholarly department offers antiquarian books, manuscripts, artwork and ephemera. Its publishing arm prints original works and reprints significant titles with new introductions. Its practitioner department serves the legal profession with new and used titles. Greg joins us today from New Jersey, where the Law Book Exchange is based. Welcome, Greg. Good afternoon, Richard. It's a pleasure to be with you. Good afternoon. Thank you for joining us. All right, my very first question, which is a simple one. Why specialize in selling law books? So that relates to how the business began. And uh, after college, I wanted to go to law school. And as an interim, uh, and to save money and sort of get an inside track, I thought, on the legal profession, I found a position as an outside sales representative in New York City for a major um, legal publishing company. And on the first day there, I was introduced to another sales representative who I was going to work with. And... Uh, He would become my future business partner some 10 years later when we both quit and started the Law Book Exchange. So Law Books was what I – it was a serendipitous um, direction, and that's how the business began, though, and that's how the subject specialty began. Now, let's start with the the antiquarian section. how far back do you go into legal history with your inventory? Uh, pretty far. Uh, basically, so we uh, have, uh, you know, so the earliest printed books are called Incunabula, and presently we have 15 incunables in stock. And I think the earliest printed book we have at present is from uh, 1480. But prior to that, I mean, we have uh, perhaps a manuscript item uh, going back to the 13th century, dealing with papal uh, rulings or papal decretals. So we go back um, pretty far. But in terms of your uh, other books where um, the content is, is, is important, you're going to have books that would, say, cover uh, the Roman legal system. Would that be correct? Yeah, sure. So Roman law and canon law uh, would be what you would find in the, the early printed period. And so, so in Canabula is like 1455 to 1500. And religion and law would be the two prominent subjects of the earliest printed books. So I presume papal law is a really important area then, since so much of that would have been documented? 
Yeah, so it would it would be referred to as canon law, and it, it was very integral and in, in, uh, controlled many aspects of day to day life. So, but it so Roman law and civil law, uh, and then canon law, and as you as you refer to it as papal law, would be the legal systems uh, at that period. Right now. Do you focus on the legal systems of particular countries or do you attempt to cover law on, on a totally worldwide scale? W worldwide scale. Um, so uh, we recently uh, issued our last few uh, e-lists. We issue an e-list every week usually of um, 30 items and uh, so the last few dealt with uh, Italian law, French law, uh, Spanish and Portuguese law. And so, yeah, we cover um, a worldwide uh, scope. And would you ever get down to say, for instance, with Italian law, before Italy was Italy and it was a series of city-states, could you have like Venice's legal system from, I don't know, the 1700s or something like that? Yeah, sure, because that's right. The, the uh, boundaries were not where they are now. And so, yeah, the answer is yes to your question. Okay. Now, um, here's a silly question, but why are old legal books of interest to collectors and institutions why do you why do you have all these customers around the world well when you say oh i, I wish i had all these customers around the world we have <laughs> many <laughs> but never never enough uh, but because the, so why do people collect anything it's usually there's a uh an interest in it from a from an individual's point of view um, and from an institutional point of view it's their uh, an area of their focus for, for research value but uh, uh, so individuals collect you know many uh, law books are landmark works I mean the Federalist uh, Magna Carta and, and and many many titles would be found in you know, collections of the most important printed books. So um, those would be some of the reasons why uh, people do what they do. Uh, so really and institutions, because, yeah. Yeah, because yeah. they're super historically important, culturally important, and they're like little moments in history where there was a change of direction. Precisely, that's right. So. It, 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 that's exactly right. So that gives you a window into time, essentially, of a, a particular book, or uh, it, it does exactly that. And so, um, again, uh, people, some people collect things for their art, artifactual, art, you know, just as an artifact. Others collect it for content and. Uh, and usually institutions collected for both or, but mainly institutions are f concerned about research value and uh, completing their collection or areas of focus. Okay. 
Now, your antiquarian section also offers artwork. So what would be law-related artwork? Yeah, so that's a peripheral uh, element of the, of the inventory. But, I mean, it could range from um, uh, steel engravings of uh, various legal uh, sites or personages, or it could be satirical uh, hand-colored prints, or it could be oil on canvas uh, portraits of you know, various legal uh, personages. And um, now, if, if I take a, just a very quick look at all the different types of law, there appear to be many, many branches of the law profession, or branches of law, I should say, really. Um, are some more, are certain law types of law books more collectible than others? So is constitutional law the, the most collectible one? Or what about things like civil rights or, or functional things like maritime law? Well, that's all of those are collectible and each individual would or, or, or institution would, would have a reason for their focus, uh, whether it's women and the law or free speech, uh, censorship, but uh, civil rights and, and, and the topics you mentioned are, are collectible topics. And P, so, you know, it depends on the person's motivation or the institution's motivation. People collect early printed law books, people or institutions collect um, law dictionaries, uh, broadsides, manuscripts. So there's any number of areas of interest. So a, f a few moments ago, you mentioned Magna Carta, so that... Uh... That reduced the power of the English king, and then you mentioned the Federalist. So I'm, I'm, I believe that would have influenced the American Constitution, although I'm not quite sure because I'm English. Um, <laughs> there must be numerous historical books that changed a country or even an empire, right? Um, mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Can you give me some examples of the the really important ones? Well, so the Code Napoleon was a big uh, influence in civil law uh, on the continent. So that was 1804, I believe. Uh, I mean, that, so that was a monumental uh, codification of uh, rules, and uh, it, it it still reverberates to this day in civil law systems. Uh, but prior to that, the, you were speaking previously about Roman law systems so and canon law systems. And so there was uh, a work or works called the Corpus Juris Civilis, which uh, compiled the various components of uh, the Roman law systems into one um, uh, work, which, you know, had four components. And, and then the Corpus Juris Canonici was a similar, a similar uh, compilation that unified the uh, canon law uh, 
system and doctrines and rulings, or it, it certainly attempted to. So something like the the Code Napoleon would have been an example of law being enforced across an empire. It wouldn't have been just France. Is, is that correct? Right. It, well, it's, it, it, the French Empire, again, the boundary lines were much different, but it, it certainly expanded and was uh, influential beyond the French borders. Um, and it's it, it's uh, things like that and even in in england which you might be more familiar with so then blackstone's commentaries was a um, big deal in terms of um uh, you know offering a, a a landmark work that was um, you know went through many many editions uh, influenced the uh, the colonies as well and um, was a huge thing in terms of disseminating uh, the law uh, again now this is the common law system in uh, in England and the United States so there's certainly a, a number of works like this that were landmark works, hugely influential, uh, like the Federalist you mentioned previously. I mean, so that, I mean, that was hugely um, uh, influential in terms of the American experience. So if we say go back to say, and know, three, four hundred years in time, um, what's interesting is large proportions of the population can't read or have limited literacy skills, certainly not enough to comprehend a complex law book. Um, I'm just thinking back, the people have the power to uh, read, understand and implement these laws. It, they must have been incredibly influential at the time. Well, I think that's always been the case that the uh intelligentsia of the society were the literate uh, people, whether they were civil or on the religious side. But um, yeah, that, that's so the founders, the American founders uh, were some extremely uh, uh, well read and uh, Renaissance uh, men, not, not women, men mm -hmm. only. But, it, you know, so I, think, I mean, if you look at Thomas Jefferson's library, the scope of it is just unbelievable. And the languages uh, that he uh, was um, uh, literate in and uh, collected in. But that continued. I mean, you know, uh, like Oliver Wendell Holmes, we're, we're actually working on a a publication of his uh, what he called his black book and it was a um, a, a diary of, of sorts of all of his readings and it's just um, you know amazing the scope and breadth with of things that he read in uh, German French um, and and just you know, just quite mind-boggling to perhaps the 21st century uh, 
lawyer or even judge. But, uh, but yeah, I mean, that's, I would say yeah. that's always, always been the case. Always been the case, yeah. So that you are a specialist and the depth of your inventory is truly amazing. As I, as I look at your website now, I can see uh, you advertising a, an anthology of legal poetry which I didn't even know existed, but um, it, it's interesting to see how far and how many different aspects that law touches upon. Well, that, that's interesting. You know, that book you're referring to is uh, an anthology of 19th century American legal poetry. And uh, I was not aware prior to working with this author of the depth of uh, the number of 19th century lawyers and judges that um, that wrote poetry. I mean, so it was uh, it was fairly common. And um, that was truly uh, an eye opener. And uh, I would say that would for most current day lawyers, they would approach it the same way. But in but many of the famous uh, Americans of that period from uh, John Quincy Adams to Joseph Story and Oliver Wendell Holmes were there, I mean, are included there and, and uh, poets to some one degree or another. Uh, although a few of them reluctantly, uh, and, and, you know, tried to even uh, stop some of their poetry from being <laughs> dispersed. <laughs> Uh, there's poets yeah, so, everywhere yeah 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 um okay you you have one arm of your business where you you serve practicing lawyers with um new and used titles of of law that is um present the present versions of laws um right. i was wond wondering why since the law is regularly updated in in all countries what why don't why do they still use books why don't they use digital versions of, of something that's constantly changing well they do and so uh, uh so that's our business actually started and that's all we did when we started was uh, this, this component of the business namely uh buying and selling books that lawyers used and so over time obviously our business evolved significantly and and so did the practice of law. And so today they do use digital editions for many of the major things in a law practice. However, uh, texts and treatises are still sought after in print because something you use with some frequency or want to uh, refer to quickly or again and again, the book form is still a, a a comfortable source and desirable source as opposed to um logging on because frequently a lot of these sources are, are subscription databases or yeah yeah or not, you know it's just a little awkward to go as opposed to again remembering your password you, and then finding yeah, a copy yeah exactly so I think the book will be around for a while longer. It's been around for 500 years, but even as a delivery of information that you, again, you use textually and 
you know, you're going to read for hours or as a, so as opposed to just going in and doing the research, getting a case or getting a statute or, you know, finding case law. So there's different reasons why people would use books in conjunction with an online database. And so there's a number of people that buy sets that are relatively up to date with no intention of keeping them up to date in book form because they have an online subscription and they're going to use it in conjunction with that. So if they want to find the latest case, they can, but they want to have and work with the text um, just because it's easier. Right. Okay. Now, um, I'm not sure if you get this question every day, but what is the most exciting aspect of your job? <laughs> well, I'd say the most uh, exciting aspect is the uh, unknown aspect of what will happen or what you'll learn or find. And so there's constantly new material that you're exposed to. There's constantly uh, new aspects of things you've acquired that you're learning about. So um, it's a, um, it's never a dull moment, uh, so to speak, if, you know, from, from that point of view. And, um, and so that's exciting. It's, it's also exciting when you sell it to somebody who of appreci appreciates the enthusiasm that you have for it. And uh, that completes the, uh, the circle, so to speak. In other words, buying books is good. Selling books is also very good. Yeah. So I suppose once you have a, um, you've acquired a, a new work and it's on your desk, then begins the research. And that could mean going through uh, dating it and understanding it's probably going to be in all sorts of languages, I guess. I guess there's a lot of research for you to do. Usually when we buy a book, though, we have somebody in mind that we want to sell it to, or it, it just appeals to us so much that we think we can tell a story about it that somebody else will find compelling. And uh, uh, so, and, and again, there's, there's various databases um, that you could check for auction records, you could check for institutional holdings, you could check if we've ever had it before, and so, or, or if you had something similar. So there, there's a number of references that you wind up using nowadays that years ago didn't exist. And so you can do much deeper research on a book or manuscript, or a piece of ephemera, you know, anything. It's just um, the, the databases uh, or what's out there is, is uh, extremely helpful. All right. Okay, uh, Greg, final question. And I'm intrigued to see what someone who deals with law books all day actually um, reads in the evening. So what book or books are you currently reading? Actually, I'm reading a book about a former ABAA president. The ABAA is the American Booksellers Association. 
uh, anti excuse me, the Antiquarian uh, Booksellers Association. So uh, the book I'm reading is, is called Bluffing Texas Style, The Arsons, Forgeries, and High Stakes Poker Capers of Rare Book Dealer Johnny Jenkins. And it's, it's a fascinating uh, biography and uh, story of uh, a, a, a Americana dealer who um, takes a few wrong turns in his life. Uh, but it's a fascinating thing. And it's also uh, written by a colleague of mine, but it, it's just been published by the Oklahoma, the University of Oklahoma Press. Um, the author is Michael Vincent. Right. Okay. Who is, is, is also a uh, bookseller. As so often with booksellers, I find they are reading books about books. That's true. I, I do read beyond that. Uh, and, uh, but this one, I, it just arrived uh, and I'm halfway through it uh, being interrupted, but it's, it's compelling. So, so, Excellent. Uh, yeah. All right. All right, Greg, thank you very much. Um, that's all we have time for this week. Many thanks to Greg Tolbert, the president of the Law Book Exchange. Uh, thank you, Greg. It's been really interesting. It's been my pleasure, Richard. Hope you enjoyed the show and we'll see you again next time.